why we really wanted to talk about this is just the sheer number of people who are retiring. I think it's something like 10,000 people a day retire right now. That's going to happen until 2050. And we've got 21,000 architecture firms. 19,000 of those are small and mid-sized firms. Most of those don't have enough staff internally to identify somebody to take over. And so you're left with a lot of firm owners who are looking to retire in the next couple of decades and not a lot of options that they can see immediately. And so finding ways that we can make this work and happen more frequently, I think that's going to be critical. Welcome to Best Practice a show where we interview leaders in the building industry to unpack the tools, strategies, and tactics they use to run great organizations. Today, I have a special co-host, Joanne Louie, who's part of our marketing team, and she's also runs our, all of our, our content strategies. So all the kind of amazing content about how to learn how to run a practice, she's really taking on the charge on that. And today, I'm very excited to welcome two people. I think this is the, this is the first time we have two people on our team on one of these this is pretty exciting. So we have uh, Leah Bayer and Kate Conley. Um, they're both partners at OJK Architecture, which is a virtual architecture practice. And we'll dive into what that actually means. They don't practice in virtual reality yet, but they are doing some really innovative stuff as a remote company. So we're going to cover some of that ground. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. I love that we're multiple firsts for you guys. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> and, it, and it's my first. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's we're, cool. we're like we're all expanding here in terms of like just this event series, and so it's really cool to have two people on board that can kind of talk about the same, almost different experiences, but around the same topic, which is great. And both of you being partners at, at our firm, it's, it's going to be really interesting. So I'd love to just start off by just talking a little bit about maybe your individual career trajectories and how then kind of it came to OJK. So maybe we can start off with Kate. All right. Well, I have been a practicing architect in the Bay Area for 12 years now. I've worked for small, medium, and large firms, international, national, local. And I came to be a partner at OJK just because my best friend was a principal there. And the owner was looking to retire and asked her to take over his practice. She didn't want to do it alone. So she brought us on. And that's how I came to be a partner there. It definitely found me. Leah, do you want to go? Oh, sure. I mean, there's so much more to keep, but I know I'm trying to keep it it for later. (laughs) So I'll add that we're both, um, we're Cal Poly graduates. Yeah. And Kate and I actually, interestingly, have quite a similar trajectory and background, but have still never met in person, that is. So I graduated and also practiced in small and large, not so much mid-sized firms in the Bay Area for the past decade or so, Um, mostly in residential work, housing work. Um, Prior to that, though, I managed outside of architecture a couple different businesses, retail business, healthcare business, and really came to love uh, business management and everything related to that just sort of fell into place. So I knew that my place in architecture was a little unique. I didn't want to necessarily practice architecture. I wanted to practice the business of architecture. So I did that. I practiced architecture enough to learn about the business at different scales and become licensed myself and then started my own company three years ago, essentially. And started that as a remote practice with staff that I grew across the country And one of my team members, we didn't have enough work because we were new to support her. And she ended up taking a job at OJK. And the owner there was 
really open to this idea of sharing her as a resource between the two of us, which I was really thankful for. Um, and that happened to be just a couple days before everyone shut down for work from home due to coronavirus. And it's really her that I have to credit all of this for. She looked at the needs of that company who had never worked remotely, needing help to get into that world, and looked at our needs as the young firm wanting to take on more larger projects and suggested that we work in partnership together. So my company last year and OJK ended up partnering on a project and we helped them go remote. And so it was through that relationship for the past nine months that we saw this really great synergy between us. Um, and so when that opportunity was presented to our third partner, Sarah, she immediately thought of us and what would this look like if we brought your entire team on and brought in Kate and what could we build? And here we are having done that. It's pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty quick and it's three of you, right? So mm-hmm. I'm curious what, because it seems like each one of you had a very different transition into the company together. So maybe you can describe a little bit about what it was like for you or the kind of how it was unique for you in that in, as a transition and what are the kind of takeaways that you you might be able to offer from that experience to our you know listeners. Yeah, so I mean, I was kind of minding my own business working at this sort of fairly large multi-state firm with an office in San Jose. And so for me, this truly was a very pure buying into a partnership of a company that I had no current involvement with. I was just attracted by the prospect of working with Leah and Sarah. I mean, when you embark upon something like this, you're really just betting on the people that you're doing it with because no one can tell the future. We were still in the very early days of shelter in place. When we started talking about this, we didn't know if the economy was going to tank. We didn't, we still don't. So, uh, but I, it was so uncertain, but I just believed so much in these two other women that had been working together that I just kind of couldn't say no. Yeah. And I, I would say for me, it was a little, you know, it was completely unexpected. I had started my own company wanting to build something up from scratch and wasn't necessarily interested in taking on somebody else's firm. I had had an opportunity to do that in the past. But my team and I had had a retreat together in January of last year and talked about where we wanted to head as a company. And we had been mostly practicing single family work. And all of us were very interested in having a bigger impact on our communities and taking on larger projects, more complex projects that were more of a benefit to more people who need great architecture and could benefit from great architecture. So this opportunity came up to work together and it was really wonderful and beautiful. And then when the opportunity to purchase the company came around, I was evaluating it both from my own perspective as just an individual and what did I want for my own career, but also had to come into it with what am I doing for my team that we had started to build and that I had made promises to in terms of what I was trying to create for them and support them with. And so it was really a representation of myself and four other people coming into this arrangement and making sure that this is the right path for them. And it was, I mean, it was right for me, even though I love having control and being the one who's planning and doing the strategic work and managing the business, I have also recognized that what I really want for myself and for architecture is bigger than myself. And so finding the right partners to complement those different pieces that I don't necessarily have strengths in 
was something that I knew I would end up having to do. And it just was this magical thing that happened where they presented themselves in Kate and Sarah. And even though we weren't planning to acquire another company or work with another company or bring in other partners, it just felt like the right thing when we evaluated against where we wanted to go as a company. So it was just really like exciting and magical and powerful that this happened to happen in one of the craziest years of our lifetime. And so that, I guess that's the perspective that I came from. And Sarah had only been at the company for a year when the founder offered it to her. So for her, yeah. she was like, I- I'm still learning the ropes of this firm. I'm still learning the ropes of this project type to some extent. And so she was like, I can't possibly take on a firm that I've been at for a year by myself. So for her, partnership was essential to feel comfortable kind of taking the the helm, even though she was the one who had kind of the history of employment at OJK before that. How would you say that you all, I'm curious about kind of parts of this story as you kind of, we dive into the the step-by-step part. It's like, I'd imagine that there, when you all came together, there must've been a series of meetings that you were having to just kind of find alignment on it. And how did those meetings actually shake out for you? And like, what were the outcomes? Like, how did you know, was there any kind of defining document or, you know, it's kind of like the, I think about like a movie going back to like a founder's story and just kind of like, <laughs> like a montage of things that happen. And there's like the thing and it's a whiteboard and it's on a whiteboard, but I'm curious, like for the three of you, how did you bring your ideas together and know, okay, like there's a mission here, like all that alignment. I'm curious. So I'll jump in with, Yeah. <laughs> You know, over the course of working on this project between my company and OJK, Sarah was the project manager on that job. So we had communication working on that project together and started to talk just big picture conversations about the future of architecture and what we both want for the world and really just enjoyed the complementary values and perspectives that we had in that space. And set up a series of very casual monthly check-ins with each other just to get to know each other. And after a while and sharing what I was looking for, she looked at me and she said, have you met Kate? (laughs) And I I laughed so hard because I cannot tell you the number of times I had heard that before in the past (laughs) years. There's (laughs) Kate's name had been popping up all over the place. So it was time for that to happen. And we just scheduled our next call to include Kate. And again, it was just very big picture conversations about architecture and what we should be doing and how we can serve the world better and like blue sky thinking. And I don't know if it was the first meeting or second or when it happened, Kate, but Sarah sort of slid in this like, hey, so the current firm owner here is thinking about retiring. (laughs) What do you think about doing Yeah, I mean, it was pretty early on. It was just like, you know, let's talk about it a little bit, but like, let's buy this. I mean, it felt like that, like that quick. But to answer your question, there is a whiteboard. It's a Miro board and it's an enormous mind map of like every category. Like what's OJK bringing? What's Leah's former Mm. practice Evia bringing? What role each of us will be? How the staff folds in? How the ops folds in? I mean, truly, like this thing is crazy. If you look at it now, like it, it made sense while we were building it, but it definitely looks a little bit like a crazy board. And then there is also a document where Leah found kind of a founder's agreement questionnaire that had some pretty tough questions on it. And going through the process of answering it, it helped each of us kind of codify 
how we feel about what if one of us wants to leave? How do we want to divide things? Well, like, I mean, what if one of us dies? I mean, there are these like serious questions that you have to start to ask yourself when you're entering into a partnership versus just being an employee somewhere. And through the process of answering those, I know, at least for me, it started to feel a lot more real. Like, okay, these are three women. I mean, two women I'm going to be committing to. And so I think that both of those kind of are like fun, dreamy mind map and are like very real survey questionnaire helped us really kind of quickly arrive at the areas where we were all in agreement about moving forward with this. And we had to do all of that before we ever approached Jerry and said like, Hey, we might be interested. The three of us were definitely spent a lot of time getting on the same page with each other. Yeah. And to add to that, after that exercise, we all realized and decided that regardless of whether or not buying that firm happened, that the partnership needed to happen. And so it was really wonderful to see that regardless of outside factors and any sort of negotiations that we might go through that were very challenging. And we questioned whether or not it was the right decision as we were going through that, that we knew that we could trust in each other and that we wanted ultimately to end up with one another and leading some sort of architecture firm, whether it's that firm or one that we create or mine, who cares, but this was the right match for all of us. So it was really about understanding, as Kate said, and trusting one another as people first, and then figuring out the details of the firm after. Mm-hmm. In that process, I imagine part of that mirror board has a section on it that talks about your core strengths and weaknesses as individuals, right? That are kind of trying to form the super team. What are those for you, if you can share? Sure. I'm definitely the technical, I know how it gets built person. I've spent 95% of my career, I feel like, on some construction site or another, seeing drawings I've drawn get built and go, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, that worked great. That immediate feedback working with builders to actually manifest what you've drawn. So I'm the person who gets called in when we've gotten a set of comments from our waterproofing consultant and need to figure out how to wrap those in and the person who can tell you how to configure a curtain wall parapet with framing behind it. And like, you know, I'm really kind of the building tectonics person. And that just comes from having such great mentors. I've worked for great architects and I've worked with great builders in my career. And Sarah is definitely our, like, she knows how to put a project together. She's usually the first person a client is talking to. She's done affordable housing the longest. She understands the financing streams the best. and she just by virtue of the projects that she had worked on leading up to OJK is often involved in that kind of planning application, working out the project with the city piece. So she's really kind of there right at the inception of any project and can get it to the point where a project team is ready to take it over and kind of expand the amount of staff that we have on it and make it a reality. And I'll let you answer for yourself, Leah. (laughs) I'd say too, Sarah is our bleeding heart when it comes to the passion for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, She really, we all believe in the mission, but she Mm -hmm. has got the strongest time relationship to that and the focus in that and really drives that as our primary foundation and force. And so for myself, you know, I I love architecture. I don't really care to practice architecture um, for most of my day-to-day. I love storytelling. I love understanding a client's needs and understanding what we're putting together and being able to relay that back. So presentation work, 
I think we said that I kind of like will gather everyone's hard work and then just sort of shine it and polish it, and <laughs> package it into something pretty and hand it off. But I love the business of architecture. I like the finances. I like people management, hiring, training. I love ops. I love systems. I love strategic planning. Anything that's not the actual doing of architecture, I'm I'm all about it. That's my jam. Yeah, I mean, Leah runs our business truly like we understand it but she gets it does it is the executor full-on it's funny because I've known Sarah for 16 years and our husbands are always like when are you two gonna start to firm together and we were always like we don't want to do the money part like <laughs> like neither of us have ever had any interest and so you know when this opportunity came about my husband was asking me like well what's different about this time I'm like oh we needed a Leah like <laughs> That's the missing the piece. Like that's yeah. the special sauce is to have someone who's not only is okay with being the partner who runs the business, but is passionate about it and great at it and like takes complete ownership of it. And we can trust her implicitly with that. So now you have signed your agreement, figure out what you guys want to do together. How do you make the transition? Like I would be curious if I was an employee getting three new bosses. <laughs> all merging together from different parts of different firms and how does that work and how do you communicate that with your employees? It's a great question. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. The first thing that we did when we found out that this might be an opportunity for us is talk to a peer of ours who had been through the process before. I think there's so many unknowns when it comes to this type of transition, buying into ownership, buying another company, getting bought out becoming a partner. And not a lot of places to turn. Not a lot of people have been through this. We were fortunate that we had a friend who both had bought into a partnership and then had her company sold. So she could give us some perspective on both sides of what that looks like and point us to our first really critical advisor, which was a business management consultant who has managed internal transitions and also helped with external sales and give us a really deep download on the technicals and understanding this is what we're getting into. This is what you're going to need to start researching. Here are different options of how this could go down and gave us a lot of homework <laughs> to start looking at the sort of math and the legalities involved in this transaction. Because it is, I mean, like it's a really big purchase that you're making. Certainly more than, it's the largest purchase I've ever made in, in my <laughs> life and probably will be <laughs> for a long time to come. So. There's a lot to consider and make sure that everybody involved is all on the same page, both from the buying in end and the selling end. And of course, there's a lot of negotiation that happens there and it's very challenging. So you want to make sure that you have the right support system on your side to ensure that you are successful, not only in the transaction, but making sure that it's the right thing for you throughout the process. Are we making the right decision moving forward with us? This is truly what we want. Yeah. Our management consultant was, we always called her like, she was always in our corner. Like she would like give us our pep talks and like, you know, kind of, I don't, she was just the best. She was a bulldog for us. I mean, and she knew what she was talking about and architects don't know how to buy architecture firms. That's not something you're taught. So you have to have like, for lack of a better term, kind of the grown up in the room who knows what she's doing and knows what she's talking about. And will kind of, she would also kind of calm us down and keep us from coming to decisions in meetings. Just say like, just receive the information and then talk about it among the three of you. You don't need to respond to everything right that second in that meeting. 
But through that process, we also had to talk to the insurer because as part of this transaction, we're taking on OJK's past projects and the liability that goes with that. We also talked to, at the advice of our person in our network, talked to a tax, you know, our CPA to talk about sort of the tax implications of different ways to structure the deal because those can have a huge delta, like bigger than the bigger than the price of the whole deal, the tax delta can be. It's kind of crazy. So you want to be very careful how you're claiming it and how you're structuring it from that standpoint as well. And we wouldn't have known to really reach out to either of those people as early as we did if our network hadn't have said, hey, you need to talk to a tax person like immediately. So from those, all of those people helped guide the different ways to structure it financially, the different ways to structure it kind of from an HR standpoint, and really just made us feel like we were making an informed decision instead of just kind of guessing what was best. Yeah. And at the very end, bring in the attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Although very we love our attorney. <laughs> only only at the end. Everything should be like written on like a Google Doc and agreed to in a Google Doc before. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. I mean, really, you do. You come to your attorney with your agreed upon term sheet and they're just making sure that it's written up in a legal way. Mm-hmm. Um, no need, no need to ask him. Yeah. Back and forth with your lawyer there. <laughs> I'm curious about, there's a question about like, Okay, like one level deeper into like how it actually happened, because I'm sure some people are wondering, well, why even acquire, why even go through the process of buying? Like, yes. what did you gain from that that made it such a strategic decision as opposed to like, you already knew you were going to get into a partnership no matter what. Yep. What were you gaining from that? That's literally the question we asked ourselves throughout the entire process. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. So you need to know that if you're getting into this, what is the value add for you? We sort of weighed, I think, the difference between what do we get if we buy this firm versus what do we get if we go off on our own or continue with my company? And truly, it came down to time. Being able to purchase a portfolio and existing projects and existing clients and continue that work and bring in more work immediately based off of that portfolio and those relationships meant that that work was getting done now and we weren't delaying the important work that we wanted to do, which was provide additional affordable housing. Without that, we would have had to build up our own portfolio and break into a space where we didn't have a background. And that would have taken a really long time. So for us, that factor of time was worth purchasing the company. It was really important to us. Yeah. And we all know, you know, when you're submitting that RFP, you have to have your three to five relevant projects. And how do you get that? How do you get three to five affordable housing projects that take 10 years to build? You don't. So that's, and so not only were we kind of buying that legacy, that sounds very calloused, but it's a little bit the truth. We were buying the legacy and we were also keeping another architect in the Bay Area from buying it and competing against us. I mean, that was the other piece, right? It's like where he's selling to someone, Jerry is retiring. And so it's like, who are we sort of preventing from being able to compete against us with these amazing projects? Because they're beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful portfolio and we wanted to be a part of it, but it is, you are making a big financial commitment in order to get that. But this portfolio is 40 years of projects and we're not even 40 years old ourselves. So there's no way we could have ever replicated this. In order to prove that that was possible, we did do a deep dive understanding of the financials of the company. Part of the process of these negotiations is transparency and financials of the firm. They share that information with you. And we were able to take that and put that together and project out a budget and understand what our costs were going to be, what our revenue might be. 
would we be able to support this purchase with the company itself? Because we're not millionaires. We can't yeah. have to cash down on this. So part of that decision-making process was also the affordability for us coming in as partners to immediately have 100% ownership, but have the opportunity to pay that over time with the funds of the success of the company, which then lights a fire under us to immediately hit the ground running and hustling and be as efficient as we can be to make that happen. And so fortunately, both of those things, the finances and the portfolio and the clients, all of that came together to tell us that this is doable and this was important and the right thing for us to take on. Those are all such amazing points. I mean, I think like underscoring the strategic aspect of com- competition is, fan- I mean, fantastic. Also, something that I feel like maybe some firm, maybe not, not firm owners, because I think they understand this, but it's less, or at least people are trying to get into a new market or whatever, just the realization that architecture projects are actually assets in some capacity they, and they should be viewed as such. I think a lot of times, I don't know, there's a sense of kind of downplaying the work that you've done or the portfolio and you might not see the value in it, but actually that's actually very valuable for someone that just wants to get up and running. And so like the recognition that what the work that you do pr- produce, no matter what scale, is still has its own value as a portfolio and whatnot. And I think strategically for some of them in the audience, it, this could kind of inspire them to rethink how they're organizing their own corporate company strategy, right? The sense mm-hmm. that like this could be a viable option for them. So someone did ask about how did you end up financing it more specifically? Mm-hmm. Now, yep. talk a little bit about, it seems there's a component here where you're paying down mm-hmm. whatever was agreed to. Maybe you can walk us a little bit about how that is structured. Yeah, I think without getting into the details of our own agreement, which are confidential, there are a lot of different ways that these transitions can happen. One can be just a straight up buyout, which you often will have in an acquisition because there's paying out of current partners and sort of restructuring the entire company when you merge together. But more commonly for internal transitions, and we were sort of a hybrid of an internal external transition, is creating something that's affordable for your existing staff to step into that role. Sometimes that's like a bonus structure where over a certain period of time, stock will be exchanged for bonuses over the years, or you can develop a sort of a a loan. It's a promissory note. um, (laughs) says like, we promise to pay this over time. You can figure out how to pay that on your own, or you can have the company pay that through its revenue. Lots of different options available. And you could do a combination, right? It might be some cash down and then some paying off over time. You can, the current owner can sell all of the stock up front, or they can choose again to transition that stock over time if they still want to stay around. So for us, finding the right combination for what we were looking for and what Sherry was looking for in terms of retiring was really important and took some back and forth in finding that balance and what that looked like so that it felt fair to everybody involved. But ultimately, you know, it worked out that we felt very comfortable and not like we were going into debt immediately with this company because that's definitely not something that we wanted to do. So I think for people who are interested in doing this, there are certainly ways to both provide value to their retiring owner, as well as make it affordable for individuals who want to get into this as an owner or partner to structure that in a way that's best for you. That's why it's important to have a, I think, a, a business management consultant because they can walk you through those different scenarios and mm-hmm. options. 
It's just amazing to also recognize the flexibility here, right? I think for, for people who haven't yet dived into the I mean, idea of like buying a business in general, very similar to like buying real estate. I mean, it's just that the, you try to meet the owner where they're at. Mm-hmm. What do they need? You know, something uh, I've been diving a lot into real estate, into like bigger pockets. And you start to realize ultimately like, oh, wow, yeah. Ultimately, like the the owner of the property or whatever could be at a different life period in there. And what they need could yeah. be as simple as like, uh, they just want to have the mortgage paid down. So you can still control the property as an example. And as long as you're making payments to their mortgage and, you know, reap the benefits of being able to add value. But it's great to for people to listen to this idea that like, you know, it is a possibility, you know, as long as you find obviously the right person who can meet you where you're at and you can both meet, you know, in the middle in some, in some ways. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the firm that, firm owner or the firm that's looking to sell is likely going to have some work that they've done up front to value their company and come up with a position that we're looking for. That doesn't mean that's, that's what you have to take. And that structure is the only way forward. And it may take some time to come back and forth to truly understand what are the fundamental needs, as you mentioned, of each individual party. But it's well worth the effort of going through those conversations and stripping down to, you know, what's most important. I think ultimately, we all want the same thing. We want to be successful. We want to carry forward the great work that the firm is doing and not see all of the resources and knowledge and team disappear. I mean, part of why we really wanted to talk about this is just the sheer number of people who are retiring. I think it's something like 10,000 people a day retire right now. That's going to happen until 2050. And we've got 21,000 architecture firms. 19,000 of those are small and mid-sized firms. Most of those don't have enough staff internally to identify somebody to take over. And so you're left with a lot of firm owners who are looking to retire in the next couple decades and not a lot of options that they can see immediately. And so finding ways that we can make this work and happen more frequently, I think is going to be critical to architecture, not losing all of this wealth of knowledge and portfolio and clients and relationships. It would be just such a shame to see that disappear. Um, So finding this is critical. And with the wave of this generation who's retiring, it's also another tremendous opportunity for the diversity of who is a firm owner to explode, right? We have such a more diverse kind of working body of architects now. Could get better, of course. But compared to people who are currently firm owners, we want to see more women take over firms. We want to see more people of color take over firms. We want to see more all the different flavors of diversity can suddenly become firm owners. And I think truly when you're a firm owner, that's when you can shift culture. And I think that's what a sea change in the culture of our profession will look like is a wider variety of people taking over ownership and management of architecture firms. I think there's only so much you can do internally as an employee to shift the culture of your firm before you start butting against that leadership level. Through no fault of of leadership, they can't respond to every single thing that every single employee wants them to do. But when it's your own gig, you're like, this is how we're doing it now. Mm -hmm. And it's that simple of a decision. You get your vote from your other two partners and you're off to the races. And so you can create whatever kind of firm you want rather than always asking for permission. Mm -hmm. 100%. (laughs) <laughs> like hands up my architecture firm. <laughs> I, I mean my mind is reeling because i just keep thinking it's like oh there's like just no 
you you hear a lot from the AIA a lot about transitioning, but from more from the perspective of the existing owner uh-huh. trying to transition out. But you don't hear any kind of education coming about like, well, how to acquire your own firm or how to think about this more strategically, which is kind of interesting because in the world of let's say not the world, but in my Twitter feed, because that's kind of <laughs> that's one way to look at my world. That's your world. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a lot of people that are obviously in tech, but then that are also looking like so much discussion right now around buying landscaping services, buying and then tech enabling them. And there's so much conversation happening around just like there's all these really actually high margin businesses that mm-hmm. exist or at least like profitable businesses, but there's just no systems and technology that are being used to streamline them. And so that to me is like incredibly fascinating. And what I love about this conversation is like how you're providing almost the, not only the the way to think about it in some way, but also you've shared with us some aspects that I think would be really helpful for anybody to be able to maybe get, just start digging, right? Start learning how to do it themselves. And the, the conversation around culture is also pretty interesting because you are, as we mentioned in the beginning, right, a virtual architecture practice or fully remote. How does that play into this in general? Because I think for those that might have joined us a little bit late, Lee and Kate have never actually met each other physically, I should note. So please walk us through. (laughs) I love that you talked about, George, this opportunity to buy companies that have um, profitability, but are perhaps not, have not been brought in to the current world or even thinking about how to perform and stay relevant in the future. It's part of what we did and wanted to consider with this company is there's great work there's great clients, but there are some systems that are perhaps lacking in terms of moving forward. And so being able to pair that with what we had built before with this virtual environment and marry that with a company that was a very traditional architecture firm, had a physical office, had staff that worked in the office, and blend those two together and carry that forward is part of what we were really excited about mm-hmm. in this transition. I'll let maybe Kate talk a bit about the technology uh, portion of it because I feel like I've been talking about a lot, but that's certainly what we were looking to do here in this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, all remote practice, the the two big things we always get asked are sort of how do you design together? Because I feel like that's the piece that, you know, Joanne, we were just talking about is like, what? how do you replace everyone sketching with Trace and on a whiteboard together? And then kind of how do people make up for the social aspect and how do you build a culture in a remote firm? And I have to say, Leah, having already done this for three years, had some pretty amazing tools in place, particularly for the social side, I would say. One of our kind of, when we were still like auditioning each other's to be partner a little bit, she invited me to their happy hour that they have every month. And it's just these like really fun girls, like in this happy hour. And I was like, I want to be part of this team. Like it was totally seductive, right? And she, they're friends. Like her firm is all friends. And it it's, she has done such a great job building a culture. There's a Slack channel that's running all the time. And yeah, there's channels for each project, but there's also channels for like cute animal gifts or like your successes or something you need to vent about. I mean, it's your whole psyche. It's not just like project assignments and work. Um, And then she also has a incredible kind of virtual project board that replaces like a post-it pull planning that you would do in an office that works great automatically up like updates you when things are due. You can tell who's working on what, who needs help on what kind of all from this one platform. 
And then the one piece that Sarah and I really brought in is we both worked at a firm in Palo Alto for a number of years that had Thursday design crits. And we both knew like moving forward, Thursday design crit is part of the culture. Like it's, it was our favorite part of working there. And it was always a time when the whole firm would gather and talk about whatever project was up that day. And it really made you feel like SD, like schematic design, which is the piece that architects always want to work on because it's the fun part where you get to decide how it actually looks. That was everyone's phase. I mean, it really felt like that. Like there were projects that I didn't work on any other time outside of design crit, but they still kind of felt like my projects because I piped up so much and crit about them. And that always was the pinup with the trace and whiteboard. And so we've been using Miro as the replacement for that. And it's fantastic. Um, I would say it even kind of trumps in-person design crits a little bit because everyone can comment at once. So you're not waiting to take turns to give your comments. The person presents the project, presents what the question or two is for that day. And then everyone just grabs their post-its and their emoji stickers and everything and just goes ape on the board. You have a record of everyone's comments there. And then it's just a few minutes at the end for everyone to kind of share what they said. And maybe that sparks another idea or that sparks a third option or something. But I'd say like, I'm a Miro evangelist. That is such an incredible design tool to have for even offices that are in-person offices, but you're in three different physical locations, which I think is the reality for more and more architecture firms now too. Yeah, I, it is a piece that we were sorely missing and just one of the like many wonderful adds to this culture that bringing in more people has resulted in. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is fun. I will say that uh, there have <laughs> been some challenges with the transitioning remotely um you know beforehand it was a little bit easier my team was all 1099 independent contractor staff which when you're building a new company it's a lot simpler to manage that way but we had made a commitment to the teams that we really wanted to invest in our people provide great salaries benefits flexibility support just everything that an in-person firm would do and i think when a lot of architecture firms talk about being remote and before the pandemic it's mostly based off of this 1099 type of arrangement. It's more complex when you get into hiring remote staff that are employees. There's a lot of tax law, employment law, just figuring out like operationally how to manage hardware in different states and get people onboarded in a different way. But the challenges there and the complexity there there are well worth it to us in investing in a team, truly making sure that we have a fun, happy group of people that work together well and are well supported is going to ensure that our company is successful. It's happy people do good work. So. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. I say it as Leah being the person who does it. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> I second that. <laughs> I mean, Leah should like, just find another Leah. <laughs> I mean, you can hire people to do these things. You do not have like the partner that loves this or that, there are professionals that will do these things for you. So even if you don't have the partnership, if you want to take on ownership as a sole owner, you can do that. You can hire part-time help, part-time professionals to support you in that capacity. It really truly is about what you're looking for, the growth you're looking for, the size of team you're looking for. You can sort of design and build up the systems you need for yourself that are appropriate. Yeah, it's a lot. It's uh, building out the team around you is ultimately the kind of mindset you just need to have in general, right? Yeah. And, you know, Leah and I have both worked at traditional, I mean, we'll call them, we had someone the other day said like solid office, 
call it off. Like instead of brick and mortar, which I thought was so cute. We've worked in solid offices before and we've been friends with the women who've left because the nine to five lifestyle did not fit their lifestyle, particularly when they became parents. Sometimes when they're caring for an elderly family member, the burden of that we saw hit women over and over and over and over again. And women with eight, 10, 12 years of experience who are gold would be leaving these firms because the firms just didn't have the structure to provide the flexibility to keep them. And we're like, we'll take them. I mean, that's the value of a remote firm to us is not that we feel like, I mean, Leah said this before, we don't feel like every architecture firm needs to be a remote OJK style, but it's so important that that choice and option is there for people who do need to work nine to 12 and then 9.30 to one in the morning. You know, I mean, people have weird schedules and the way we're set up, so much of it is asynchronous that we can accommodate that and keep those people with all of that incredible knowledge who just don't have a life that can match a nine to five firm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's also this idea that like, I don't know, the other part of this is the idea that work happens because you're physically sitting down somewhere, right? Uh It's sort of, I think what what this is completely has shown is that that just doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way at all. You know, it's about outcomes and output, not necessarily about, being able to observe someone that's at their seat or something else, right, in relation to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can still observe. I argue all the time that with our structure, we can observe what people are doing more frequently and have better dialogue about that than in person. Everything that we do is transparent. Everything's hosted in, in Google Drive that everyone can access. Everyone has conversations in Slack that are transparent. So you can poke in, and I think all of us do, to see even on projects you're not working on what people are talking about, what they're doing, what markups are happening. So you get that sort of eavesdropping opportunity when it works for you and not necessarily exactly when it's happening in an office. And then you can follow up and sort of add on to a conversation. And we, we're we not like, why are you in my channel? You know, <laughs> we, encourage, <laughs> we encourage creeping and participating and collaborating and asking questions. And then the team members can come back to that and say like, oh yeah, we are having this conversation. This is what that means. So there's even more opportunity for things to happen for more people. I think more scalable and on their own time and in a documented recorded place where people can go back to that and revisit that. So sure, it's different doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And in fact, again, I argue that it, it's better this way than in office eavesdropping. So we have two questions here. Someone asked, I want to ask about the virtual office one first. So being a virtual office where all your employees can be essentially scattered around the country, can you speak about your ability to stay relevant in your local community? Mm, that's a great question. Do you want to answer it, Leah? You are our local person. <laughs> Sorry, I had an alert going off. I didn't want to make the sound go. So my partner and I are both in the Bay Area and our projects are here, obviously. So you do have to maintain a presence where these buildings are going in the ground for these larger multifamily affordable housing projects that we have going on. You know, I personally am out on a job site probably three out of five days a week somewhere in San Jose. So you do have to have people where your buildings are going to some extent. 
And that's something that we make very clear as we hire that, yes, you can be anywhere, but if you want boots on the ground construction experience, that happens in the Bay Area, just so that we're fully transparent up front. That's not to say you can't participate in construction administration other ways. We always need ASKs done. We always need some middles reviews. We always need RFIs answered. But if you want to be out on a job site in a hard hat, that happens here. Leah and I are both extremely involved in our local AIA chapter. She's the vice president of the whole chapter, and I am the events director for the Women in Architecture Committee. And we also are members of local advocacy organizations. Our clients, our nonprofit developer, housing developer clients are also hyper-local. They all develop only in the Bay Area. So I think the notion of separating kind of project from staff is an important distinction because you do, as architects, it is easier to operate in a few municipalities where you know their systems and their quirks very well, and it makes you extremely effective and you build there, but your staff doesn't all need to be within a 10 mile radius of where you build your projects. Yeah. You know, I agree. And I think the opportunity for future growth in other areas because we have people in different locations. So now I'm, I just practice mostly in the Bay Area. I'm now in Washington and we'll stay in Washington. We have the same issues with affordability and homelessness and people who really need housing up here. So being able to get invested and involved in your local community, understand the needs of that community, and then potentially build business development in that location, that gives us the opportunity to expand in different areas based off of where people are but you do really need to have that connection and understanding of those needs and the relationships there. I actually practiced in San Francisco for about a year. And even though I lived on the peninsula, I had that sort of discord where I was practicing and doing work for San Francisco, but didn't really feel invested and connected in San Francisco and didn't feel like I truly understand what that community needed. And I felt sort of like a fraud (laughs) in creating architecture for people that I didn't understand. So I think that's critical for what we do. And so we have to be strategic about where those projects happen for that reason. Thank you. Yeah. We have two more questions here. Christopher was asking for Leah. From your experience as both the architect and operations manager, how much of the job as principal is managerial or design? I think there's an ideal scenario for me and there's the reality of what we are dealing with right now. As a team of eight and three of us are owners and principals, we're top heavy. So we all have to have a lot more involvement in projects right now. But hope for me and goal is to grow enough so that my involvement on projects is minimal. Like I said, my ideal split is 60% operations, 40% project work in the short term. In midterm, maybe in the long term, I'm closer to like in year 90% operational and non-billable as we expand what we're working on. But the reality is we're a small team. We have to do a little bit of both and find the balance of working on the firm and working in the firm until we have enough staff to truly support us focusing more on the management 100%, or at least me. I know that Sarah and Kate will be- I know Sarah and I are like, yeah. <laughs> They'll be more involved in the, the project design. I am that I am. Yeah. yeah. And that's great that you have like different personality in the partnership so you can do what you like to do. Yeah. Actually, in the Miro board, there was one like area that was like, what's your ideal split of like how much time you spend on business development? How much time you spend on this? How much time you spend on projects? And I think, Leah, you might have even said like 85% like 
ops and that kind of stuff. And mine was like kind of in the middle. I was like 70, 30 and Sarah was like 50, 50. <laughs> like, <laughs> she loves being a project manager. She's so good at it. And it's yeah. like, well, all right, Sarah, you're gonna have to like <laughs> do partner stuff. <laughs> so it's like, it's funny. The three of us had a very different like split and continuum of like how much we want to like roll up our sleeves and be in the rabbit model in the project versus kind of high level client relationship and building more client relationships. I think that's great. Like we all should do what we love doing, making sure you write that down and agree to it. So people don't feel resentful over this person's not doing enough of this role versus Mm -hmm. that is super important. I think that happens in other firms with leaders, but if you recognize your strength and that you're each going to play your roles and you're going to stay in your lane, and then these are the shared things we do together. No reason not to embrace that uh, for a balanced leadership. Yeah, that. (laughs) <laughs> on projects <laughs> as much as you want as long as I can pay it off <laughs> just do whatever you want <laughs> Eugene is asking he said congratulations on this transition does your firm's founder have any sort of ongoing role in your practice marketing design technical advice and is he fully bought out of the firm Okay, that's kind of two different questions. So he does have a role. He is our ongoing advisor. He was doing, I want to say all of the CA, maybe most of the CA for the projects that were under construction. So when I came into the firm, I sort of was like the sub out for him. But obviously when a project's in construction, there's a lot of history that decisions have been built upon. And so I keep him as a resource to ask those kind of history questions for all the projects that are under construction. He also, right when we bought the firm, took me to each site, kind of showed me what was going on, introduced me to the players. So he did a tremendous job setting us up for success with our partners. He had meetings with each of our clients to make sure that he introduced us to them and kind of expressed his enthusiasm and faith in us. And he is, we have his number (laughs) and we do just feel the need to reach out to him from time to time for that sort of history piece. He also is sort of in the process of of giving us like the full detailed download of the whole portfolio because we are aware of what projects we have, but there's always that kind of intangible backstory to all of those that we want to really learn and kind of embody moving forward. So yeah, he's still around, but he is 100% bought out financially. So he's a consultant to us now, if that makes sense. I don't want to like give all the details, but (laughs) he's out from a financial standpoint. (laughs) That was his choice too. You know, he drove the decision and wanting us to really take over and have ownership. And I think we all really appreciated that. So it was clear on both parts that we were in agreement with how that would be negotiated. But yeah, I agree. He really set us up for success and helped us, you know, pitch before this even happened for new work that was successful and, and we're really thankful for his contributions. I think having some sort of continuity is just so critical. And some a lot of firms plan for a longer transition, right? Like right. years worth of phasing in and out between the different owners. So yeah, one of the things our management consultant told us is there's often structures where this is a five-year transition and you know, like 20% of the stock is sold each year over five years versus us, we did, you know, 100 percent all at once. So when we say there's a variety of ways to structure this, there are almost an infinite variety of ways to structure this for whatever works for the players. And then the question we have here is, 
It's about client engagement.、Mm-hmm. What does client engagement look like with a virtual work model? It looks like this. A lot of Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so funny because you know I was working remotely before everyone was working remotely, and there was a concern for me about the legitimacy of a virtual firm, and that was one of our biggest hurdles. And then everyone was working from home and had screaming children and cats running around, and people were wearing pajama bottoms in their meetings, and just very raw and real. And it's really not challenging in this world now. I think we're used to it. So we have introductory、uh, meetings with our clients. That's how we met all of our clients is through Zoom calls like this,、mm-hmm. sharing work. You know, I think as we go back to normal, because we have people in the area that our clients and projects are being developed, there will be more in-person meetings. It's easy to rent a conference room or go to your clients' offices and have conversations in person. But the majority of our work, we don't need to physically be with each other to talk to each other, and it's. Most easier to be able to share your work on a screen and mark things up together in that way. Yeah, so, and I mean, client engagement. Having worked on in solid offices for <laughs> a long time, I feel like a client would come in like once a year. I mean, right.、Yeah. The notion of needing to have this physical space there for when a client comes by is kind of. I mean, you go to them. Like that's part of good customer service. So I see our clients all the time at job walks on sites, and you know, I don't feel like there's been any sort of Pause in how much we can engage with them being remote. So I we I do want to be conscious that we are kind of at time here, but、mm-hmm. I do want to ask one final question, which I like to ask of our guests. And、uh, for both of you, what's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for you? Oh, <laughs> oh <my laughs> people are so wonderful. I just like I don't even know how to. <laughs> we we get a lot of different answers to this question, so. Yeah, Ask me to buy an architecture firm with them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really though, that is so significant to、mm. like trust someone you don't know at all and say like, "I'm putting my future in your hands." I would second that. Through the women in architecture, I、mm. have met some fantastic friends and sponsors and mentors who have. Without really knowing me, just after a couple like committee meetings, pitched and advocated for me to continue to take on more and more leadership, specifically within the AI Silicon Valley, and it's just meant the world to have someone who is established and a leader and somebody that I look up to to see worth and strength and support that and pitch for that without. Me having to like <laughs> ask for that or look for that or prove myself, and so having a network like the women in architecture, like these women who have been supporting, like it's the reason why I am where I am. Truly,、yep. my entire career trajectory has happened because of these women who are supporting and lifting each other up. I would say that's been one of the most meaningful. Nice is sort of like a word. <laughs> it's truly like so meaningful and important to me, and I will. Value that forever, and hope that I can pay that forward、um, for the remainder of my career because it's been incredible. Yeah, our local women in architecture committee is a force.、And、they definitely dare you to be better and totally support you while you're trying to do it. And it's I second everything Leah said about them. They're amazing. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I just want to 
thank everybody. I'll kind of wrap it up by just uh, giving a note from our sponsors here at Monograph, which is us, jo- Joanne and I. <laughs> so at Monograph, we're building the future of practice operations uh, for architects and other design professionals, like think landscape architects, interior designers, even engineers, actually. We make it easy for you and your team to track time and visualize how that time impacts project schedules, budgets, and team resources on the day of. So with Monograph, your even your marketing team, I can see what staff is planned for which project that's upcoming. We have things like phases. So you can always keep track of whether what's in proposed or what's active um, and, and see how that could impact your forecasting. So as principals, you can always see what where you stand. Where are you? Right. All those type of questions about where are we today? That gets answered via Monograph. And ultimately, we help you and your team make decisions. So you can sign up today for a free trial at Monograph.io. Leah, Kate, Joanne, thank you so much for joining all of us here today. Uh, really appreciate the conversation. For those that want to learn more about MA in general, who should they talk to? Oh, well, we really want to support people. We loved having a peer networking system answer questions. So we actually set up a little landing page, firmacquisitions.com. You can reach Kate and I through that, info at firmacquisitions.com, or you can reach either as Kate at Leah at ojkarch.com as well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I hope everyone wrote that down, Firm Acquisitions. I think Joanne just shared it. That's awesome. Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. This was such a treat. We love you awesome. Thank you. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.